the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I was joined in studio by a panel of Irish Times business journalists to discuss the major issues of the past week. Irish Times business editor Cliff Taylor will try to make sense of conflicting signals from the government on Michael Noonan's room for manoeuvre in this year's budget. He'll also talk us through the Department of Finance revised economic forecasts, which are something of a mixed bag. Laura Slattery will bring us up to speed on Communicor's streamlining of its management structure. And Barry Halloran will tell us about Norwegian Air Shuttle's plans to fly within South America and the latest developments in the North-South Electricity Interconnector. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, Cliff, uh, we're going to talk about the economy first. And I thought it was interesting that, uh, I think it was on Monday, Joe Brennan reported that Michael Noonan sees scope for an expanded budget in 2018. And in today's paper, Wednesday's paper, Owen Burke Kennedy writing a story, basically how the Department of Finance has signalled that there will be limited scope for uh, budget increases for 2018. So perhaps some conflicting messages uh, coming from uh, the Minister and the Department. Maybe you can make sense of it all for us. Yeah, I mean, we are starting to head into the pre-budget season. It seems to start earlier every year. And of course, under the new process laid down by the EU, the government has to start outlining its forecast at this time of year for what the economy is going to be like over the next few years. That then goes into an Oireachtas committee where the issues are discussed. It goes to the European Commission. So the process has started, if you like. And and as ever, you know, we're, we're starting to get conflicting signals. I suppose just to put it in context, we are talking about uh, the difference between two huge sums of money. So, you know, spending and revenue are both over 60 billion in each year. So, and the room for manoeuvre in the budget is likely to be somewhere in the 1 billion range. So a slight increase in tax revenue or a slight increase in spending can make, can move the number kind of pretty significantly in, in either direction in terms of the amount the government, the, the minister has to give away. But I think the underlying message, whether it's a bit worse or a bit better than we expected, is there isn't going to be a lot to spare in this year's budget. Mm. Uh, now, hold on a second, because we were told this last year, we were told, I can't remember we what were, the precise yeah. figure it was. Was it a billion uh, euro we were it told? Was, was, we, it was a billion, the yeah. And then when it came to budget day, lo and behold, there was an extra 250, yeah, 300 was, million yeah. euro had been found down the back of the there couch was, for extra spending. There was, but, you know, in the greater scheme of things, that was still a pittance, really. Uh, th- there's always a bit of smoke and mirrors before the budget. The government will always try and play down expectations and uh, hope to unveil something that will keep us all happy. But really, if you looked at your pay packet after the last budget, you know, there wasn't a lot extra in there in terms of taxes and uh, in terms so of spending, in terms of spending programmes. Is much much the same, really. Okay. So, what's the government telling us the likely uh, adjustment will be? They this haven't year? they haven't finalised their figures yet uh, because uh, they're going to do that in, in what's called a summer economic statement. We started off a few years ago with a spring economic statement, but it seems to have been delayed and the seasons have moved on. So we're told last year it was a summer because of the general election, and it seems we're, we're, it'll be the same again this year. Quite likely, I suppose, because uh, while it's not being said, it's not being said quite likely because of the political situation, we're likely to have a new Taoiseach. Mm. Uh, we could have quite conceivably have a new Minister for Finance, although that's not certain. Uh, it would be a bit ridiculous for figures and indications to be given before a new administ- right. administration was in place. What are the known knowns then in terms of, let's say, uh, increase in public sector pay? What, what kind of provision is it going to have to make for that? It, the, the known knowns are that it, it, it looks like a lot of the concessions given 
last year on pay uh, and, and in other areas of spending are, are going to cut the amount of money he has to spend. So in other words, there are concessions made towards the end of last year which are going to fill in, uh, which are going to have a full year cost this year mm. and next year. They're going to chip away at the amount of money he has to spend. They're going to take about five or six hundred million from, from, from his room for manoeuvre. Uh, there are also pressures on him to increase or on the government generally to make further concessions to public sector pay. There's a programme of phasing out the, the cuts that were made during mm-hmm. the crisis. There's pressure to bring bits of that forward. They're going to be I talking. thought it was very interesting. Last week, the central bank, it emerged from the central bank commission mm-hmm. meetings from February that increments have been restored for people who are yeah. earning 100,000 or more. Yeah, yeah. As part of this phasing out of the FEMP legislation. And, you know, similar similar fights going on across the public service uh, and the civil service, which are likely to see some concessions from the government in the months ahead. And then the small things like we're not going to have any water charges, obviously, uh, after the compromise this week. Yeah, let's talk about that, because I heard somebody on the radio with Pat Kenny this morning, somebody from Sinn Féin, um, saying, I mean, essentially, there's going to have to be 500 million euro found for capital spending on on water. And Pat Kenny was trying to ask him, trying to nail him down as to Mm. where this is going to come from. The answer was general taxation. But that means you've got to tax somebody somewhere along the way to to raise that money. Absolutely. I mean, I suppose the the cry of the anti-water charge protesters is we're, we're already paying for it. Uh, but the point is that if there are no water charges, then you know we're going to have to keep on paying for it, and we keep on I'll keep on paying it f- from it through general taxation. But all these things I think are coming together to mean that whoever is minister for finance in October is not going to have a big bag of money to give away, despite the fact that the growth forecasts are are, are pretty good. Yeah, let's talk about them because they've increased the forecast for this year, but they've shaved half a percentage point yeah. off the forecast for. 2019, 2020, 2021 because of a fear of a hard Brexit. Yeah, I mean, it really is a finger in the air job at the moment in terms of economic forecasting. It's terribly difficult. I mean, the first thing is, obviously, the Irish figures are completely distorted by the activities of multinationals. So, in you know, whatever way you come at it, it's very difficult to forecast GDP. But even pulling back from that, the difference for the Irish economy between a hard Brexit and a soft or easy Brexit are, are just enormous. So while you could say with some confidence growth is good this year, the economy has started with strong momentum. The government has upped its forecast from 3.7% to 4.3% for this year. You'd have to say that, you know, that looks reasonable. Uh, if you look beyond this year, looking into next year, the Brexit talks will be underway in earnest. We'll probably have some indication of what way they're going. If they're going badly, that could hit confidence, that could hit growth. The year after, Britain is due to leave the EU. So the gap between... Mm. For the Irish economy, between the worst case scenario and the best case scenario, is so is so significant that it really is very difficult to uh, to, to forecast. Be, you know, beyond yeah, this I year, I think it's fair to say that the economy is going gangbusters at the minute. I mean, they've yep. told the European Commission that they expect the economy to create an additional fifty five thousand jobs this year and a further fifty thousand in two thousand and eighteen to bring the unemployment rate below six percent which is approaching a level of, of full employment. And I seem to recall in the heyday of Bertie Ahern in the early noughties, mm. I'm standing up in the doll and talking about creating over a thousand new, net new yeah. jobs uh, per week. And this was a great achievement for the Irish economy. We yeah. seem to be back at that level. We are. I mean, and it is. I suppose it is one of the encouraging things about the recovery. There's been a lot of debate about, you know, people not feeling better off and wages not going up. Uh, and uh, people's living standards not improving in the kind of way that you would expect in in an economic recovery, but the fact is that the uh, the level of job creation is really significant. It is back to a thousand jobs a week. It has been at that level for the last few years. Uh, it's reasonable to expect it to continue. And as you say, when unemployment starts ticking down around five percent, you're you're getting close to. Full you know, what would be classified as full employment now. That's not to disregard the fact that there is a 
you know, a significant group of uh, of long term unemployed people within that figure. Uh, but nonetheless, in terms of in terms of the rest of the economy, that is that is back to something like yeah. Also, some so we're, we're in, you know we are into that territory again. Also, some figures from the CSO uh, this week, just in relation to the budget deficit and the level of national debt. Again, some encouraging uh, signals there. We see the headline deficit zero point five percent of GDP and the debt to GDP ratio. 75.4% uh, worth remembering that it peaked at 120% post Absolutely, crash yeah, yeah. Um, but Michael Noonan were required by Europe to get it down to a level of 60% yeah. so we're well on target for that obviously but he's actually said we're going to go further than that we're going to take it down to 45% which yeah. I mean do we need to do that? Yeah very questionable I, I think I mean the first thing to say about the debt to GDP figures is there this is where you really see the impact of leprechaun economics so our GDP figure has been hugely inflated by the activities of multinationals here, the 26% growth rate, 2015, famous figure that caused such controversy. So that, that has messed up our debt, our debt to GDP figure. So the reality is probably a bit higher than the, than the headline figures suggest. But nonetheless, you know, no denying we're moving rapidly in the right direction, which is good. Uh, it seems to make sense to get down to the EU level. There is a lot of debate about what we should do beyond that. The likes of IBEC are saying, look, you're tying yourself far too clo- far too tightly but by doing that. You, you'll be using far too much money to pay down debt when, in fact, you should be investing a lot more in the infrastructure. Economy. Infrastructure, exactly. And there's a huge case, you know, there's a very significant uh, argument that we should be investing more in infrastructure and in housing and roads and ports and water. In, Water and broadband. Public transport. Yeah, uh, broadband for, 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 for rural areas and, and for all areas and all those all those kind of areas. Um, and that does pay, you know, that does pay back if you do it right. That does have a direct payback to the economy and money is cheap to borrow at the moment uh, and will likely never be cheaper again. So, so there is a case to really ramp up uh, investment. We are constrained by the mm. EU rules in doing that. Uh, but if we're looking for some gimme from the EU... In, ret- in, in relation to Brexit, uh, this, might be it. this would not be a, a bad place yeah. to start. I now, say. you mentioned that we're likely to have a new Taoiseach in the near future. Yeah. We may well have a new Minister for Finance. If we do have a new Minister for Finance, do you think that strategy might change or is that a government strategy that's embedded regardless of who's in the role? Good question. There certainly have has been a difference in emphasis between uh, Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney, uh, the two leading candidates, in terms of tax versus spending. So... Leo Varadkar has gone more on the tax side, if you like, uh, you know, hinting that he would give more, uh, you know, a little more cash of the spare cash towards reducing taxes. Uh, Simon Coveney would be seen to favour uh, more spending programmes, this was more slightly centre-left policies, as you might say. And neither of them have come out uh, in terms of what they might do in investment. But I, I think this is this is a live issue for the government. Uh, Pascal Donoghue, the Minister of Public Spending, uh, you know, could conceivably be the next minister for finance, is due to come out around the middle of the year with a big capital investment plan for the next four or five years. And really, that would seem to be the appropriate time to stand back and look at the figures and say, mm. OK, if we're aiming for 45 percent, what's that going to mean for investment? Can we still invest the amount that we need? Certainly the, ca- the case of the likes of IBEC is, is that no, we can't and that we need to, you know, get away from what they call our austerity fetish. Uh, and invest a bit more. You know, I, I think I'd, I'd go some way to agreeing with that. The very important caveat is that we got we have to spend the money properly. Uh, mm. We can't go back to the old days of pork barrel, you know, roads in 
roads and uh, ministers constituencies and you know projects that are done on a vanity has basis properly thought out, you know, yeah. it has to be pro- and, and, and a proper cost benefit okay. uh, done on the projects involved let's move to some corporate news uh, a busy day in Communicore Dennis O'Brien's media company with most of the CEOs of his Irish radio stations being purged quite quite dramatic yeah, I mean, they're no stranger to drama at Communicore. And what happened this morning was there was staff briefings at News Talk to update um, staff there um, that their CEO, Tim Collins, is, is one of uh, uh, a series of people affected. There's four uh, CEOs within the group. Um, Today FM, News Talk, um, there's a Spin. Spin plus Spin Southwest. They have the single CEO and, of course, uh, 98 FM. So as a result so of these happening? changes... Those roles are all being stood down and um, there will be a single CEO of the music station. So that's basically everything except news talk. And we're, it's understood that that, that uh, the, the current Today FM chief executive, Keith McCormack, is likely to be in that role. He's the front runner okay. for that role, but it hasn't been confirmed yet. But it does mean that... Um, Tim Collins, who joined Newstalk at the start of last year, he, you know, he won't be in consideration for that role. Um, so he's understood to be uh, leaving the company. He may be doing some short-term consulting for them. Um, but um, Newstalk won't have a CEO. And it, it also so what's the, what's the rationale? Is it pure cost-cutting? Um, I think that's a large part of it, yes. I mean, we have to remember that Communicore... Uh, only appointed a CEO for the, the group as a whole um, last November when uh, Adrian Searle came in replacing Gervais uh, Slowey. And Adrian Searle came in from a Birmingham-based uh, media group called Ryan Media. And I think uh, whipping companies into shape is, is one of his uh, specialities. Um, but as part of the changes, there's also going to be an amalgamation on the sales side of the house. Uh, currently, three of the stations, 98FM and the two spins, um, their advertising is managed by Media Central, which is a Communicore-related company that also manages uh, sales for uh, other radio stations that aren't part of Communicore, whereas Today FM and Newstalk News for the last few years, um, are their sales are generated by um, Communicore One. That's the name of the sales team in there. So all the staff on both of those teams are, you know, could be affected by this change, although there's no suggestion at the moment um, no confirmation, I should say, of redundancies, but it does it seem like that one or other of that, those sales teams is going to be chosen as the single sales house for the mm. for the five stations. Now, it sounds good on paper and, and maybe there's a certain logic to it, but actually, is it a good idea to sell on behalf of, let's say, a disparate uh, stations, uh, music stations like 98 or Spin, uh, which even have different demographic, demographics themselves, and then talk stage, hard talk stations like News Talk? Well, I think it's all about, you know, you know, advertisers are looking to reach particular demographics. And, and it, it, if you can manage that more efficiently in a more streamlined way through, you know, single sales house, all these things run off software programs, um, that, that this, is the, this is the direction in which the industry is going. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of consolidation and changes and upheaval on, you know, on, on, the, on the commercial side of, of the radio business over the last few years. It's perhaps not the, 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 the sexiest of subjects, but there's been a lot of kind of reshuffles on, on that side of things. You know, often we concentrate more on who's presenting breakfast and, you know, who's, who's presenting drive time, who's the face of the station or, or I should say the voice of the station. <laughs> but really, you know, these, uh, these, uh, how, how the business is done behind the mm. scenes is just as important in radio. Uh, hasn't been exactly having an amazing time of it of late. Um, so who runs? I mean, we're going to have a director of music, but who runs News Talk? Uh, well, effectively from I was here? just about to mention that 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 that, that, that situation is vacant, and it, they will be hiring 
uh, an editor in chief at Newstalk. They uh, Garrett Hart, who was the editor in chief of, of Newstalk, and he also you know, he's filled in. You know, when there was no CEO there for a while as well, um, he left at the end of the year, and they did have a trawl. Then um, there was no appointment made, and it was they were going back to look at it again. So I understand that they they will they will have to have somebody mm. overseeing all of the editorial uh, policy at News. Does this signal perhaps another change in schedule? Because Tim Collins did introduce a new schedule, didn't he, during his short time? Um, I, I mean. Radio is famously conservative, and the, the the schedule revamp at Newstalk was sort of almost sort of you know forced on them uh, to a certain extent. But uh, having you know having done the, the the changes, there was a big weekday change last September, and we don't really know the impact of that yet quite yet because the radio radio ratings are quite slow to really confirm one thing. Uh, whether or not something is successful or not and the weekend schedule has only really just been changed so we've got um, Ivan Yates has gone back on a Sunday morning for example Um, uh, there's been a few other changes Mm. there Uh, it would be very foolish for an editor-in-chief to change that to change the changes you know when we still don't even know the impact of of the original changes but in in a way you know in some ways it is an attractive job because you are the main challenger to uh, Mm. a really dominant player in RTE Radio 1 so there's obviously high expectations and you have to have pretty ambitious targets. Okay. You've got to really lock down 25 to 44 year olds. But really, you know, there's probably an acceptance that Radio One's always going to be yeah. the leader. Now, last, late last year, it emerged that uh, independent news and media looked at acquiring news talk. This led to a dispute between Leslie Buckley, the chairman of independent news and media, and its chief executive, uh, Robert Pitt. So just wondering what these changes at Communicore now perhaps mean for the sale or a potential sale of news talk. Um, I don't know if they mean anything f- for it, to be honest. I, I, I think I think the sale of Newstalk is possibly off the agenda for the moment. Um, that's that's what I've heard. Um, but in the long term, um, uh, even the medium term, perhaps they you know they will go their their separate directions. If Communicore as a whole, for example, was to be on 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 the in the shop window, it it would be more attractive for a buyer to buy those music stations without Newstalk. Because Newstalk has higher operational costs, um, that, so it, it eventually, perhaps that they will go their separate ways. And, and what happens to Newstalk then? I'm afraid I really don't know. Um, but at the moment, I think it's off off the agenda. But I've, but it, we'll just we'll just have to have to wait and see on that front because there is, as I say, it's a, it's it, Communicore is uh, prone to drama and uh, change. Okay, we'll take a short break now. When we return, we'll be talking about Norwegians' plans to operate flights in South America and the role its Irish subsidiary is likely to play. Uh, We'll also be talking about the North-South Electricity Interconnector. We might uh, have a little chat about Brexit and we'll also be looking at the potential for Bank of Ireland to break through the government's salary cap. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com. I'm joined in studio by my colleagues on the Irish Times business desk, Cliff Taylor, Barry Halloran and Laura Slattery. We're going through some of the big stories of the past week or so. And Barry, you've been writing about Norwegian Air Shuttle and their plans to operate some domestic flights in South America and how it might have some involvement from this new Irish subsidiary that they've set up. 
Yeah, this is an interesting one. Norwegian Air Shuttle is, of course, the, the group behind Norwegian Air International, which is launching cheap transatlantic flights from Ireland in July. Um, they now have an eye on South America and specifically Argentina, which is uh, whose government is seeking to, to open up aviation there in, in, as part of a, a bid to um, boost what's a, a rather slow and laggardly economy. Um, according to Norwegian's Group Chief Executive Bjorn Kjost, to whom we spoke uh, in the last couple of days, um, they're looking at basing 10 aircraft, 10 Boeing aircraft, uh, in a number of different bases, I believe Buenos Aires, Cordoba and Mendoza are kind of in the are, are the, the places being mentioned. They'll operate domestic routes in a country that is absolutely enormous. It stretches from the tropics almost to the, the South Pole, if you like, and has a population of 40 million. So it, it certainly looks like a, a big opportunity for them. Uh, there isn't much in the way of competition in there. Uh, the dominant player is, is Aerolíneas Argentinas, which is the state airline. And I think they're a bit of a, you know, they're kind of your classic legacy mm. carrier from what I can make out. So what's the Irish involvement? Yeah, well, a, a Norwegian group employs around 85 people in Dublin and they manage things like financing, branding, that sort of thing. And my understanding from Bjorn Kjoss is that the Irish operation would certainly be involved in the branding of this uh, Norwegian slash Argentinian operation. I don't know what they're going to call it. Um, and uh, I would suspect also that given that they run a lot of their leasing, their buying and leasing of aircraft out of Dublin, which is, you know, a hope for this activity anyway, I would suspect that there would be an, inov- an involvement of some description mm. at that side as well. How many people do they have here, Barry? They, they, they have 85 people employed directly in their office in, up, up in Dublin Airport. Okay, and of course they're planning to launch cheap transatlantic flights from Dublin, Shannon and Cork uh, later correct. this year. What, what's the latest update on that? Okay, well, the, the, the first thing is that the, the, the tickets went absolutely gangbusters. They said it was their fastest sale ever and that, that momentum is continuing to a certain extent, although the, the, the €69 Euro flights are all gone now at this stage. Um, one of the other twists to the tale, though, is that, that Cork Airport, which is getting its first transatlantic service courtesy of Norwegian in July uh, to, to Providence in Rhode Island, that there was a plan also to launch flights to New York from Cork. There is a, now a question mark over that. Uh, Kios is saying that the airport, this is to do with the... the Stewart Airport, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Stewart Airport New in New York State. It's about, a, you know, it's about an hour away from New York City. But um, Kios is saying that because the, the runway in Cork isn't quite long enough, they may not be able to launch... Um, the the New York flights as planned, and it's all about how much fuel the aircraft can carry on takeoff, isn't it? Yeah, that's that it's is a similar problem it. to what London City Airport has. Yeah, that is that is absolutely it. Yeah, they can they can manage the the the, the distance to Providence comfortably, but there's another two hundred and fifty or so mm. kilometers to New York, and that's that's where the difficulty lies. They aren't sure if the aircraft. They'll be using the the seven three seven Max. They're not sure if the aircraft can can do it. I they suspect this isn't going to go down very well uh, in Cork. I mean, there were already rumblings at the number of services that were going to be operated out of Dublin when this whole thing was launched. When Cork and Shannon thought that they were going to get the lion's share. Yeah, I. Um, although he's not a, a Cork TD, Alan Kelly has raised questions over this in in the last day or two, and that. There is a sort of a there's a conspiracy theory abroad in the Midwest rather than in Cork itself that the the whole campaign behind um, getting you know behind getting the, the Norwegian project up and running was effectively a Trojan horse to get more mm. flights to Dublin something that um, is being pushed in certain quarters of the Midwest and denied very strongly in Dublin.
Right, OK, well, we'll see how that plays out. Now, Barry, you've also been writing about this cross-border electricity uh, interconnector, which we're told could cut energy bills by an aggregate 30 million euro, and there's been some developments on, on that front uh, in the past week or so. Yeah, this is uh, this this thing has been a long time in the, in, in the planning. Um, it was it originally went into planning in 2010, but Airgrid messed up the application and had to withdraw it and had to start all over again. It has, in uh, rec- on board Planala, recently granted it uh, planning permission. Uh, th- that is the, the bit that runs from County Mead to the border. So that's the, the, su- the south the piece south of it, bit of it. The, the, it's, it's about 140 kilometres in length and it runs from Mead to Tyrone. And what about the north? The, there, we're still waiting on the, the Northern Ireland Planning Appeals Commission to give a final decision on it. Um, it's a critical piece of infrastructure because the, the two markets, it doesn't make any sense in an island this size, in a country this size, to have two separate electricity markets. It's just nonsense. And they, they've been technically integrated since 2007. However, the degree of interconnection is very small. It's less than the capacity of, of, of a single power plant, if you want to put it that way. This will open up the market. It should benefit everybody. It will help to cut costs. It will bring more players into the market. It will bring greater market efficiency. And a report by Grant Thornton, commissioned by IBEC and the CBI in the north, estimates that that will result in an overall cut of 30 million on everybody's electricity bills. That is not individually, but uh, in total, clearly. Um, my electricity bill is high, but it's not that high. Um, uh, the, alongside that, the kind of key beneficiary here really is Northern Ireland, which is facing potential squeeze on electricity mm. supplies at the beginning of the so next So this decade. is electricity generated in the south, which will be put through this pipe effectively? It will be put through this this 240 kV pipe uh, or sorry this 400 kV pipe and uh, sent north but it's an interconnector so the electricity will flow in both directions Okay. so will Brexit have any implications for this interconnector Uh, I don't see that it will um, first of all Britain as opposed to Northern Ireland has its own issues to do with security of supply they're trying to renew their uh, their ageing fleet of power plants over there and part of their policy around that is, is greater interconnection with, ironically enough, mainland Europe. That element of the policy is now under threat because of this Brexit nonsense. But um, clearly, um, Northern Ireland, I, I think that they're simply going to take a practical view and see that Northern Ireland can sort this problem out itself by greater integration with the South. And I suspect that... Mm. Um, Will there be tariffs imposed, though? Or, I mean, are we, we joked about it earlier, how there might be some uh, man looking into a pipe to make sure that the electricity is uh, <laughs> is actually coming from the South. Uh, it's not some sort of bogus material going through the pipe. Yeah, well, I, I would like to see someone put a, put a customs post on a, on a 400 kV line. It would be very, very interesting indeed. <laughs> um, I, I don't see why you would impose tariffs. It just it doesn't make sense. I mean, how do you know where the electricity that's now lighting this studio came from? You don't. So how do you impose a tariff on it? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just it would just be unworkable. And the SEM is, is a complicated beast as it is. Adding yet another layer of complexity to it would okay. um, probably be self-defeating. Yeah. Cliff Taylor, Brexit, a lot of nonsense, says Barry Halloran. What's, what's, what's your view? And a story in the paper uh, this week about Credit Suisse possibly looking at taking a full banking licence here, possibly Brexit-related. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with Barry on this one, I think, in the sense that, uh, you know, ever since the vote, we've really been talking about damage limitation uh, for Britain anyway. Uh, and also to an extent for Ireland. Now, there is the upside bit of it, 
which is that, as you say, some banks and financial institutions may move here. Uh, there's a lot of ducks and drakes going on. There's a lot of uh, the institutions trying to retain their own staff, not frighten their own staff, trying to plan whether they should go to mm-hmm. Luxembourg or Frankfurt or Dublin or whatever. Uh, we did report this week that Credit Suisse are, are seriously looking at expanding here. Um, that would be, be a win for Ireland. We've, we, we appear to have lost some of the other, mm-hmm. some of the other really possibilities. Is it related or were they moving here anyway? Yeah, this, 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 there's, 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 an, there's an element of fudge over this as well so certainly they, they look to have been expanding here here anyway uh, one of the issues obviously is is the regulatory regime uh, for the financial sector and uh, you know the capacity of the central bank to take on uh, extra work uh, and uh, I, I guess the uh, the faith of the of the players coming in that that the whole system here is going to work afterwards and they, that they mightn't be better off going to Luxembourg or, or, or whatever uh, and you know some complaints from the Irish side that uh, Luxembourg and some of the others have, haven't been playing fair in this fight mm. uh, but you know we're going to see we've, we're heading into a very interesting few months now on the Brexit front the, the formal talks you know we, there was kind of an expectation the day after the vote that everything would fall apart but it's become clear since then I suppose that you know we're really into a long game here we're only starting to see the first signs of damage to the British economy appearing in the last month or so uh, other figures today, living standards figures showing that wage growth there has has has, has fallen, and that uh, you know there's a squeeze on squeeze on living standards, which is likely to affect consumer spending. Uh, and the talks haven't, haven't even started, started yet, no. and it's another two years before Britain actually. And nothing's going to happen till after the general election, really. No, no, it's not because as ever, you know, Angela Merkel or whoever no her, her, her successor is is going to is going to take the is going to be the big player in it. So yeah, it's going to be the end of this year, early next year. Which is a big issue for the for companies in trying to plan what the, yeah. what they're going to do because if you're a food exporter looking at the UK market, you could be facing tariffs of up, you know forty percent up to forty percent, certainly twenty percent, thirty percent, or you could be facing no tariffs at all. Mm. Uh, it's a very difficult environment for people to plan in. Laura, any implications for media media spending in particular? I mean, presumably, are, are some ads uh, booked out of the UK nowadays? Or yeah, are, we have the likes I mean, of Channel Four. And this actually started. Well, there was a sort of a slowdown, or not? Uh, well, uh, the expected growth last year didn't didn't quite materialise the way people had hoped in, in particularly in categories like television um, that's because a lot of television advertising the big brands the big household consumer goods groups like uh, notably uh, Unilever um, uh, you know started adopting a cautious attitude even before the result actually but in recent weeks Unilever has signalled that they're, they're you know they're going to be cutting marketing spend by I think as much as 30% and they haven't decided what they're going to do I mean they're an Anglo-Dutch company they haven't decided what they're going to do post-Brexit but they could either you mm. know they could they could what about the likes of more Dutch than Anglo if you know yeah, what I mean what about the likes of Channel 4 some of these British satellite companies that sell advertising into this market what's it going to mean for them well, I mean, yeah, Channel, Channel Four has a number of opt-out channels in in this market, and uh, you know, it would be it would take a significant slice through, you know, E4, More Four, Channel Four itself, and but also Sky is the big one because it sells on behalf of not just its own channels, but uh, the likes of Discovery and uh, mm. Nickelodeon, those kinds of, of of groups of channels. And at the moment, they can they're free to do so. You know, they don't need they don't not only do they don't need a license here, but they don't pay the levy to the broadcasting uh, regulators. So that's been the bit of a sore subject, especially at RTE, because they're watching. Does that um, change post Brexit? But it does because it, it means that I mean it it changes if 
you know, the, the, there's no single market because the, the, those those companies will have to relocate if they want to, uh, you know, if they want to keep targeting yeah. other countries. But also, there might be an opportunity to charge a, a levy or you know some sort of or have some kind of licensing arrangement for those if those opt out channels want to continue um, selling advertising in this market. So it might be that it's been a long sort of running problem that actually Brexit might actually solve. But I think the overall the impact, uh, you know, at the high level of, of whether these big uh, uh, big, big advertisers spend money, you can't, you know, look at on Brexit as anything other than than negative. Yeah, and Barry, uh, implications obviously for the airline industry. Uh, Michael O'Leary has certainly raised his concerns uh, about it. And interesting that they've just set up a, a subsidiary in Poland recently. Yeah, the aviation thing is literally up in the air because Britain is a, is, is is not only is Britain a part of um, the the open skies agreement that 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 governs aviation within the EU. It's also got one of Europe's biggest airports in Heathrow. So suddenly you're going to find a, a critical hub that's potentially outside mm. the open sky structure. What do you do then? And I think that's that's a question that. That. And of course, there's a transatlantic deal between the EU and the United States yes. in, in terms of uh, open access to, to airports on, on both sides. And both sides. And, and Heathrow is going to be affected by that. Yeah, Heathrow is a big player in that, and Heathrow is a big beneficiary in that. And this is where I think a lot of that the, there, there could be a lot of politicking because the likes of Shipall and the likes of Frankfurt and the likes of um, uh, Charles de Gaulle in Paris are going to be looking at the Heathrow business and thinking, do you know what? Maybe we could mm. we could Dublin? snatch a slice of that. And I think Dublin will be thinking that too. But the, the problem for Dublin. And the problem for Ireland is that, you know, it's it's not two years since we fought a big political battle uh, during the Aer Lingus takeover bid to preserve our connections in Heathrow. So that also puts us in a very awkward situation. Yeah, sure. Uh, Cliff, we'll close with you and a couple of banking matters, uh, notably around pay, if you like. Uh, Bank of Ireland is mm. going to appoint a, a new chief executive later this year to replace uh, Richie Boucher, who announced that he was uh, stepping down recently. And this €500,000 salary cap, and which Richie Boucher, for legacy reasons, is outside, but mm. it suddenly comes into play in terms of a new successor. Michael Noonan's been giving us some indication as to his thinking on that. Yeah, it seems you can't get a chief executive in banking for half a million. So you know, for love no money, for love no money. Uh, so if we if we look at what Richie Boucher earned uh, last year, he earned his salary. His total package was nine hundred and fifty eight thousand, but uh, his salary was six hundred and ninety. So the cap relates to the salary. So he received six ninety, while the cap was five hundred. Mm. So the question, and he, he was allowed to keep that six ninety because exactly. he was in place before the crash, before the salary yeah, cap yeah, was put yeah. in place. So the question is, are you going to go above? that for another chief mm. executive it's complicated by I guess the situation at AIB where the chief executive is is on 500,000 mm. in terms in terms of his yeah. salary and there are kind of indications and uh, and that there will be restrictions on on bonuses and, and other goodies that uh, chief executives and senior uh, senior people in banks would normally get when a bank floats because of the political sensitivity around that yeah that's the other element so AIB we're likely to float 25% of AIB yeah. this year um, that's a government shareholding, effectively. There are no bonuses, no long-term incentives in place for AIB senior management at yeah. the minute. But rumblings from the markets that investors 
when yeah. they take a chunk of AIB, they would like to see some sort of plan put in place for senior executives. Yeah, they would. And uh, I guess it would be normal at least to have some kind of a long term incentive programme, whatever about salaries and, 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 and you know, goodies up front. Certainly would be normal to have Just some to kind of align interests. Absolutely. As they say, which uh, certainly seems generally to work out well for the chief executives as well as everybody else. But anyway, so, yeah, the op- the, the, the option, I guess, is for the government, if, if an insider were to be appointed to Bank, Bank of Ireland, it would be very hard to see the cap being exceeded, I would have thought. Uh, however, if, if if they go outside the bank and particularly outside the country, uh, then, you know, they're, they're likely to come under pressure because they, they will well be talking to people who are earning six, seven hundred thousand sterling. Okay. Or he, he also sterling. gave us an indication on his thinking in relation to AIB and incentive uh, awards. Uh, he's essentially said it hasn't come up as an issue to him. Yeah. So he's indicating that there'll be nothing, certainly pre-IPO, who knows yeah. after that. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very sensitive issue, you know, uh, and, and rightly so, because... Uh, AIB got uh, got a bag of money, uh, 20, 20 billion, yeah, uh, when you count an EBS to, to, be, to be bailed out. Uh, it's still rightly a sore subject, I think, with, with the Irish mm-hmm. people. And, uh, you know, 500,000 is still uh, is still a lot of money in, in, in anyone's... Uh, in anyone's uh, in anyone's salary packet, and these guys are getting, uh, and they are mostly guys are getting pensions and uh, other 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 add-ons as well. So, yeah. you know, they're not hard done by. All right, we'll see how that uh, plays out. That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Cliff Taylor, Laura Slattery, and Barry Halloran. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with Rob O'Sullivan as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.